These are the trauma healing learnings based on one mom's journal entries recorded in real time from a catastrophic event with her son that you've been listening to in the blink of an eye story. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Today, I am blessed to share with you my conversation with licensed acupuncturist Dana Robinson of Mend Acupuncture in Baltimore, Maryland. Dana walks us through the tenets of traditional Chinese medicine and gives us an understanding of how grief moves through or gets stuck in the lungs and large intestine. I hope Dana's work and insights will inspire you to deepen your own healing journey and consider these essential organs of our body and how to pay attention to care for ourselves so we can breathe easier and eliminate that which no longer serves us. And for those of you in the spinal cord injury community, today's episode may be a true game changer as well as eye-opener and I hope healer for you. Are you or someone you know looking for that next step in your career? Are you interested in mediation, conflict resolution, or facilitation? For over 29 years, Baltimore Mediation has been a leader in the dispute resolution and conflict transformation field, training professional mediators and leaders in methods of conflict resolution and transformation from a relational approach. Trainings with Baltimore Mediation will give you the knowledge and skills to promote quality dialogue and informed decision-making between multiple parties involved in conflict, whether in the workplace, family system, court system, or daily life. Their trainings sell out, and if you act now, you can secure one of the few spots open for the upcoming training, the 40-hour Fundamentals of Mediation and Conflict Transformation, December 5th through 9th, 2022, including the four-hour Introduction to the Enneagram, Conflict in Self-Awareness, on December 7, 2022. You can also act quickly and register for their short course, a 20-hour Advanced Conflict Transformation and Mediation Skills Training, with a focus on family conflicts and parenting and trauma. Find out more and register on their website at www.baltimoremediation.com. Welcome to Season 3, Trauma Healing Learning 17, Where Grief gets trapped in the body with Dana Robinson, licensed acupuncturist. Hello, Blink of an Eye family. As you might remember from our recent story episodes, I have been reflecting a lot on breathing, grief, and the lungs. During Archer's recovery process, while he was in the Shepherd Center's Spinal Cord Injury Rehab Program for adolescents, he was working very hard to wean off the ventilator so he could breathe again on his own, independent of a machine. I wondered back then if there were an emotional component of his injury related to the shock of the paralyzing injury itself to his body and the loss of his daily ability to move freely that was related to his not being able to wean off the ventilator. 
after being declared a respiratory failure at one facility, and then a ventilator failure at the next. The doctors had declared that Archer's lungs were not capable of breathing on their own. I felt that that was not a complete truth, and I clung to the possibility of a creative miracle for him, that he would breathe on his own again. Well, since that time, I have sought to learn more. And indeed, there are other healing modalities, not usually available in hospital settings, or perhaps as well in rehabilitation settings, that view the body, emotions, and healing as intrinsically interconnected. I had the great pleasure to sit down with Dana Robinson, a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner and a licensed acupuncturist at Mend Acupuncture in Baltimore. Dana brings an integrative approach to their practice, being trained at the Maryland University of Integrative Health and drawing from somatic experiencing modalities and breakthroughs in neuroscience to offer holistic services to patients experiencing symptoms related to trauma, including PTSD, spinal cord injury, and traumatic brain injuries, among other things. Traditional Chinese medicine has really helped me to understand more fully some very fundamental and totally transformative truths, including what it means to have a non-dualistic perspective and how we are all deeply a part of the natural world and all of its seasons and cycles. If you are already aware of the tenets of traditional Chinese medicine, Dana's thoughtful reflections and surprising metaphors may be a wonderful refresher, as well as helping us all see our lives and our ailments in a new light. And if you are new to this work, well, buckle up and prepare to be completely inspired, to rethink your relationship to your body and its healing. So, settle in, take a deep breath, and open your heart to receive the wisdom and emotion of the season we are in and moving through together. Here we go. Welcome, Dana. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, uh, great to discover your podcast. Well, thank you. And we couldn't be happier to have you on. And we'd love to hear a bit about your practice, how you came to it, and what you're currently doing. So I've been in practice for about three years. I've been working at MEND the whole time. I finished school about six months before COVID began. So I was excited for my first job out of school. And then, you know, the environment and the climate and the world around us really changed that time. I'm actually really grateful to have been practicing during the pandemic for the experience of serving people who are under increasing stress and tension 
and helping people as they recover from COVID and then from other kind of diseases of captivity, like the issues that have come up from quarantine, from isolation, from illnesses, from repetitive use injuries, all sorts of things like that. So I have my own clinical interests, which are more mental health related. And even though it's been really like, obviously really challenging for everyone, I feel really lucky to be working in the environment that I do and in the time and place that I do. Mm. Yes, it's amazing with all that you just laid out. It's almost it's virtually impossible to be living a human life and escape uh, the stress and trauma. And 100%. 100%, yes, whether it's from repetitive uh, injury work or isolation and all of the other things that you mentioned. And in our case, not only with the origin story with spinal cord injury, uh, but just with anybody's medical prognosis or something mm-hmm. that they're grappling with that really turns their life upside down. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm wondering with your integrative work and also bringing your Chinese medicine background to bear, what philosophies inform your practice? Oh, great question. So I, before I began to study Chinese medicine and, you know, began the process of applying to acupuncture school and studying acupuncture, I was pretty, like quite interested in Taoism and Buddhism and interested from a historical perspective, interested from a philosophical perspective, but I really, really struggled with applying pretty much anything practically to my own life. I would try to meditate and I was like, I can't do this. I would try to memorize things or learn the historical roots of things and be just lost and over my head. And I recognized through going to acupuncture school and beginning to practice that really my main philosophical outlook, in addition to any kind of things I layer on top of it is practicality and experience and and letting the presence that comes from that. So I'm so grateful to have learned every bit of acupuncture that I have learned. I'm so grateful to have studied from everyone that I have. And for me, it's really about what can you experience? What can you do? Um, And then especially with working with people who are in rehabilitation, who have disabilities, focusing on the capacity building and focusing on what can be done, even if it's not what could be done before or what will be able to be done in the future, anything like that. Just what can me as an individual, anyone else as an individual experience, and then what can we learn from that? So that's really, really broad me, my philosophy. Um, more specifically, clinically, um, I am feel so lucky and happy and excited to be doing acupuncture at a time when there's so much research and integration about neurology, neurophysiology, endocrinology, research about environmental issues and environmental factors, um, integration um, of awareness of the intersectionality of people's different lived experiences through class, race, their gender, their family upbringing, their religion. Um, So, what my one of my other things that I'm trying to do is help integrate all of that into the hour I spend face to face with my my client or a conversation I have with a friend or a neighbor or something like that. So I feel so lucky to integrate a lot of this neuro neurobiological neuropsychological research that's coming out about vagus nerve tone, about fascia connectivity, um, about the gut brain 
uh, connection and the human microbiome, human connection with local ecology, and then also connecting all of this kind of recent research and biological facts that we're now learning with pretty much every culture's awareness of the cycle of the seasons and how humans as animals change through the seasons and how our body and our mind and our soul and, you know, all the aspects of us, all of our needs change through the cyclical nature of time. So we have cycles going up and down through the day, cycles going up and down through the year, cycles going up and down through, you know, generation to generation through lives. So I feel so lucky to get access to specifically um, one recorded kind of conglomerated branch of Chinese history and Chinese view about those topics, and then also um, other cultures as well. So my, I really, I feel so grateful and just really happy to be able to work in, in like cycles with people. How beautiful that is, that integrative approach that you have. And it's very much related to relational conflict theory, which believes in people's capacity and that there isn't any just one way, you know, mm-hmm. experiencing, you know, for instance, the cycles or the seasons or mm-hmm. your own neurobiology um, and your mental health or the various methods. It's it's really, it's quite beautiful. It's very vast and it can also be quite specific, I know. And I'm just curious about how it is that Chinese medicine with all that you've just explained uh, through an integrative lens, views the different ways that we experience our bodies from a mental health perspective and specifically around our organs. Can you speak to that? Yes. um, That question is so, so broad. I, I love to ponder it. So one of the things, like an important thing just to say before any discussion is the concept of non-duality and engaging in a dialectic or things along a spectrum between like utmost yin and utmost yang, utmost bright, utmost dark, utmost material and utmost immaterial. So when I'm talking about these aspects, it's really, they're not like specific things or like parts of the brain you could point to, but they're almost like points on this infinite spectrum. Um, do you, do so, you want to say anything else so that listeners could understand about non-duality? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, um, uh, non-duality is when first, when me and I'm sure many, many other people are first introduced to the concepts that underlie acupuncture, Chinese medicine, Taoism, any, many of these concepts that we consider foreign, Eastern, um, the concept of non-duality is really hard to understand. And it takes a bit to get into your mind that, that nothing is fully definable without comparison and contrasting because nothing is, you know, you could say nothing is real because the like way of defining things or the way of holding things is always relational It's always in contrast to something else. So the like Cartesian dualism underlies a lot of Western philosophy, which is like the main statement of that would be, I think, therefore I am. 
Um, and that idea of thinking and being as two discrete things that could be even understood or one could be clear that they're happening is dualistic. It's it's sure and it defines things as separately. And you don't get to have that when you're thinking non-dualistically. Um, and I also would love to hear your perspective on it because um, I'm sure with mediation, you're engaging in that like dialectic all the time. All the time. It's really, it has taken me to many fields, yours being one. And, and also just to, you know, care for myself and making these choices of the work that I do. I, I love to think about a non-dualistic experience and world as being both, this is more of a, a mystical spiritual approach, but being both the human and the divine. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And, and one of the, to connect that to the, a, a real basic concept that underlies what is happening in Chinese medical theory is seeing the human being like an individual and also just a human race, not as separate from either the earth or the divine, but being a pillar, being a conduit, just being a point between the physical world of earth and then the ethereal world of heaven. Beautiful. It's just so beautiful. I think actually, as we, you know, meander our way down the Chinese medicine path, that it's a beautiful framework, a beautiful shaping of where we might go further in our conversation to know mm -hmm. that it is all of that and that we are so much more than just this one body in this one point in time. Uh, there's a whole universe, a whole gestalt, a whole meaning uh, for why we are here in this moment. Yeah. I love that. It's um, really wonderful. It is. I think that unto itself can bring uh, some healing for, for people. Absolutely. It's so, when you can feel that, it's so hopeful while also still being like so unhopeful because, or it it's both at the same time. Like you have so much like majesty and wonder and potential in you. And also like in the grand scheme of things, nothing any of us do will be all that important. So it, it's, it's just wonderful to engage with, even if it doesn't feel like satisfying or comforting in the the way that we might've been taught growing up. Yes. Right. Because it does require almost a, a child's uh, mind, a child's curiosity and something that's, that's also quite expansive that I think as we, as we work towards education as young children into then school, that bigness, that expansiveness gets narrower and narrower and narrower yeah. And more and more siloed and separate, you know, math and science and English and geography uh -huh. and all, all good in, in the ways of how it is that we can learn, but to bring them all back to we as the vessel uh -huh. and walking on this plane of earth yeah. with a higher plane is very exciting to me. And so with your work, and I'm, I'm just thrilled to be talking with you as a younger practitioner because you've been so close to the origin of what it is that you're learning mm. and, and these applications that must just be, wow, you know, to you and your practice. And I, I'm just really wondering about 
getting back to the body, how it is that we might understand emotions and the Mm -hmm. body a little bit more through the perspective of your learning and your lens. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to talk about that. Um, One of the concepts, so in non-dualistic thinking, body and mind and kind of spiritual concerns are fully integrated. So something that is affecting the body will also have an effect on the emotional world and something that has an effect on the emotions or the, you know, the feelings will be affecting the body. If an emotion doesn't fully move through a person, get processed perfectly, get fully, you know, done with, it will, there will be a little kernel of it in the body. And like, who of us processes all our emotions fully every day? You know, I process like 5% of my emotions well. Um, So um, a phrase that I found really helpful in school was emotions are energy in motion. So as you feel things, they are moving through your body and you can take that as esoterically as you like to. um, And it doesn't even need to be taken that esoterically. Um, And the way Chinese medicine kind of decision-making is done is there's almost like designations or like categorizations to these energetic capacities or energetic sort of categories that have multiple facets of them, including emotions. And, and it's also all based on that cycle of a year of, you know, cycle of the season cycle of a lifetime from birth to death. So when we think about anger, aside from any like physical things any individual might experience, the directional movement of anger is up. It's moves out, up and out. So if I were to get ready to yell at you or to get ready to clearly speak my piece in a mediation or something like that, I'd gather my resources, I would speak and the action would be done. It would be upwards and upwards. And so that, you know, we can all recognize that. And it takes a little bit of non-dualistic thinking, but it's pretty easy to extend that to other kind of energetic categories. So we can think about anger being associated with the, the season of the spring. In the spring, all of the plants are gathering their resources and they shoot upwards and outwards. They're not especially thick. They're not super well thought out. They're not trying to like make their families and settle down. It's just up and out. So um, the association with the spring is with anger. There's also other associations with it. In the human body, the association with spring and anger would be the tendons and the ligaments, the tissues of tendons and ligaments. So we can think about that. If you're going to make your angry movement, if you're going to move your clear force upwards, you need to have your tendons and your ligaments sort of in line with you to call that action through. Um, It's also associated with the eyes. You need to have your eyes pointing forward, clear vision, both sides of your body coordinated with the bilateral vision to make that clear action moved by anger. So emotions, every emotion that we have is categorized basically into these five sort of seasonal categories of the seasons that Chinese medicine would be considering and looking for. And um, in total health, someone's able to move through all of those emotions easily. And the year cycles through easily and all of the seasons show up nicely. Um, And the garden, like our, our bodies, our lives, the earth, whatever it may be, kind of whatever scale we're talking about, has enough time 
to do all the processes it needs in a year so that the plants can be super healthy. So I just kind of launched into the metaphor of human body as a garden. Um, Love it. Which I, yeah, it's so beautiful. So you can't, you need to have every season to have a healthy garden. Um, you can't skip winter, for example, and just go right from a harvest to planting again. You have to have time where there's nothing and the soil is resting. You have to have the springtime in order to have the blossoming. Then you have to have the blossoming in order to have the harvest time. And then you need to have the like fall and the time of decay in order to get ready for winter. Um, and we see the effects of environmental changes now. Like we don't have as clear of seasons as we might want. Um, and as our plants might want and our environment might want the animals around us. So to bring that back to emotions, they go with each of the seasons and they have energetic movements to them. And that movement can go through the body. Um, so for example, with these spring slash anger, if somebody has a lot of that emotion of anger, they might be having symptoms or body somatically, they might be having symptoms that are up in their body, pain on the top of their head, pain on their shoulders, pain in their eyes. They might have too much energy rising up to the top of their body and not enough down below. They might have high blood pressure. They might have vertigo. They might have um, like literally being hot headed, something like that. So that's an example of how anger would show up in the body. Um, the main text that acupuncture and Chinese medicine is based off of um, is called the Yellow Emperors in our classic, um, the Huang Di Neijing written like 2500 BC. So it's quite an old text. Um, and there's oral history and written history that's been translated and discussed. Um, and it's so, it's really amazing to have such an old text that practitioners 500 years ago, a hundred years ago today are all discussing and working over. Um, but that really lists specific things that will happen or that, you know, clinically have been observed when emotions get stuck in the body or emotions are overwhelming different organs of the body. Goodness. Um, maybe a, a recap of each of the seasons with anger being associated with the shooting up and, and spring and also yeah. the association to certain to the ligaments and the top you know, the shoulders and, and the neck and the, and the head, um, and the, yeah. arm. um, it's just, it's so, um, you know, we might have, have listeners going like, oh my goodness, you know, something yeah. click or make sense. And I want to just drop a footnote to get to before we finish our conversation about how it is that people might work with acupuncture to move um, these emotions that might be trapped in the certain parts of the body. But if we could first maybe go through briefly the seasons, and then I specifically would like to talk about grief. Yeah, I think I'll start with the winter. The water element comes before spring, and then we'll end in the fall, which would be the season of grief. Um, so winter time, we're going to use the garden metaphor. Um, bare ground, cold, slow, still. Um, the association with that would be um, the bones. So we're really deep in the depth of the body, like the bones are at the innermost part of the body. 
um, very slow moving. They do transform, but they're not quickly changing. Um, another association with it would be the kidney and the bladder organs physically. And I also say when I, some of the Chinese medicine terms for organs are not directly related to like the physical organ in your body. For example, people who have one kidney or a kidney congenital issue, they might have issues and pathologies and stuck emotions in this like winter phase, but they might not. It's not like a one-to-one -one correlation. So the winter um, is associated with fear, not, not worry, like fear. Am I going to make it through this winter? Like, am I going to die? Like survival fear. Exactly. Survival. And also um, the feeling of reproduction, because that's, you know, our main hope of, of surviving. Um, and it's also in the life cycle associated with um, conception and embry embryonic growth. So after we have sufficient winter enough, we've gathered our resources, we've survived, comes that upward moving element of spring with anger associated with it, with the tendons and the ligaments, and also the organs associated with it are the liver and the gallbladder. We think about how the liver processes blood and is so integral to change in the body. Like if you're taking drugs or you're taking food in, your liver will be transforming that quickly throughout your time. Um, the gallbladder, um, that's another example of people who have their gallbladders taken out can still work on their gallbladder channel in acupuncture or the concept of the gallbladder. So it's definitely not a physical thing. Um, but physically, it does have a connection with the diaphragm, the respiratory diaphragm um, and other sort of membrane-like structures in the body. So that tight under the chest, some of the digestive distress, feeling like you can't take a deep breath, that's so much of that anger being not able to fully move. Um, and that season is associated with like adolescence and just rapid growth and change. Um, next we have uh, Chinese medicine splits summer into two seasons. One of them is the first is high summer and the second is late summer. So high summer is it's like late May, early June, flowers are everywhere. Bugs are going crazy. The day is super long. We're not like harvesting anything yet, but it's just so bright and the sky is so expansive. And that's associated with um, the element would be fire. Um, and the association with it organ-wise would be the heart and the small intestine. And the heart has, um, there's a lot to say about the heart, but um, it's a very, it's probably the most like spiritual, the most ephemeral. It's very like clear. Um, and the association emotionally is with joy and with connection and intimacy. And there's so many ways that we don't get to feel that in our world. To feel the utmost amount of joy is like transcendent. You, you're not really of this earth when you've got that much joy flowing through you. And that season is so fleeting also. So that, that season would be associated in the lifespan with young adulthood, sort of like maturity coming into your own, but not essentially, not especially like stability. Like you do not, you're not in the high summer season and you're like paying your mortgage um, because then you move into late summer. So we have a, in Maryland, we have such a super strong late summer 
things start to one of the like energetics of it is condensation. Um, so we have this huge blossoming flower plant. It was so big and expansive. And now it's like all of those flowers are turning into squashes. They're, they're not trying to spread out. They're trying to condense and conglomerate. Um, the association with that would be the flesh of the body. So kind of just like the bulk and the meat of a person. It contains fat also. Um, and then the organs associated with it would be the stomach and the spleen. Um, and when we say spleen, it's really the modern equivalent would be like the pancreas. It's like the metabolic process. Um, and the emotion associated with it is worry. And so it's, that's not, I'm fearing for my life. It's the repetitive thinking over, mulling it over. I think yeah. of the word perseverating. Exactly. Like and forth. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're perseverating. Yeah. It's, um, and especially we, I, we all perseverate. We have to perseverate and repetitively think so much more than I can imagine we were evolved to do. Um, and so everyone's late summer spleen and stomach is just quite taxed. Um, and that associates with the season of like mature adulthood, um, reproduction, parenting. And so many of those, those elements come into play in pregnancy, nursing, child rearing. You have to be repetitive and perseverating and hold, you know, your little person with your flesh to help them be able to grow. So that's late summer. And then next we have like autumn or the fall. So the element, the aspects associated with autumn or fall are um, decay and um, returning to the earth. So the energetic movement is, um, it's downward, but there's also this really nice ephemeral quality to the season um, because some things are returning to the earth and some things are returning to the sky. So if we think about like a leaf, you know, a tree has done its thing, it's blossomed, it's bore fruit, and then leaves are falling off. And those leaves are, some of them are blowing away. Like there's a scattering, things are getting lighter, they're losing their water. And then the leaves fall to the ground and they decay and they return their minerals to the earth. So that like what's precious, what's essential, those molecules that are not just carbon molecules are being returned down to the earth to be reprocessed. And the emotion associated with it obviously is grief and loss because as people get attached to things, it it's hard to, to let that go, to, to not have things be as they were. Um, and then the organs associated with it are the lungs and the large intestine. So I'm really excited to talk about the lungs, but I also will, I'll, I'll say some things about the large intestine because um, in my <laughs> exposure to non-dualistic thinking, it was such, it was so mind-blowing for me to hear oh, the lungs and the large intestine. Like, I didn't want to talk about the large intestine, but they are like quite, quite linked as we'll talk about. Um, and the like lifespan association with that would be like elderhood or older age. It's really blowing my mind too, because where I am in the blink of an eye origin story is the fall. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. We are, it's seven years ago, but we are at the Shepherd Center 
And Archer is really struggling to get off a ventilator. We're 60 plus days post his injury. And I was really reflecting on the psycho-emotional aspects of his not being able to get off the ventilator and his deep desire to breathe on his own, you know, and was it, was it completely a structural issue with the fact that his spinal cord was severed, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, at C4, C2 to C5 is a burst Mm -hmm. severed. And he was uh, categorized as what's called Asia A in the spinal cord uh, world. And so clearly um, the physicians and the surgeons, the surgeon and then the doctors and the pulmonologist were saying, this is a structural problem. You know, Mm -hmm. Archer's not going to breathe on his own. We've done everything we can. We're we're now in the the second facility that's done everything they can. He's not Mm going to breathe on his own. But, But I felt that he could because maybe there was this psycho-emotional component that just hadn't been addressed yet related to what might be his gathering up his own, you know, his his life force Mm -hmm. to be able to make this happen. And so I'm going to really learn from you more today, something that I had a hunch about back then, but didn't know enough but I knew I knew enough in the moment, I think. But what I've learned since about the relationship to grief and the lungs, as explained through Chinese medicine. So if we could take it from there to yeah. move in and and um and, and I and I will also add this, your own wowness with grief and the large intestine and how it is for those who are spinal cord injured, you know, it's lungs and bowels and bladder. Absolutely. Um, That's, that's the name of the game um, for, for living and, and to make it and and for life, you know, rehab, that's all what we see. It's awesome. You know, the body, you know, getting stronger and the, and the muscles perhaps getting stronger as well, but it's lungs and large intestine. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if we could really unpack that. um, Yeah, I'm happy. It was so great to listen to. I listened to one of your, your journal entry uh, episodes where you're describing his motivation, his attempts to communicate about getting off the ventilator and then your feelings about it. And the whole time I was like, Whoa, we're going to have so much to say. Um, So in these organ relationships within one of the kind of seasonal categories, there's one that's more yang, that's more like external, active, warmer, moving. And then there's one that's more yin, more like refined, internal, substantive. Um, And those would be the lung and the large intestine. And no pair in the body has such a beautiful symmetry between them of going opening upwards and opening downwards. And that's, I mean, wow. And that both of them, they're both lined by mucous membranes. They both have to tolerate the outside world so much. And they're both activated at birth. Like, you know, when the baby's coming out, they've, they've already been doing so many of their physical processes, but they haven't been excreting the solid waste in the way they're going to. And they haven't been breathing. And they haven't been eating. Like their digestive tract is not getting pushed around by stuff from the outside world. 
So the fact that that happens at birth and it continues through life in some way or another is one of the challenges of like being alive. And I love that Chinese medicine recognizes that. And I know that patients and caregivers of people who are unable to do those things as easily as they might have been able to really, really know it. So yes, so the tissues of the lungs and the tissues of large intestine are tolerating the outside world. They're taking things from the outside world. They're absorbing it. They're made of mucous membranes. The cells are frequently dying and being like sloughed off and re regrowing. Um, so there's a lot of change there and the organs themselves are changing. Like the lungs have to change shape with every breath. The large intestine has to change shape with the bowel movement. And um, some, and it's an interesting connection between, um, conscious muscular movement and then, uh, smooth muscle movement. So just beautiful symmetry between them. Um, and I also love it, like, kind of like we talked about, I love that there's a, a little bit of a like cultural ick factor to get over because we value our lungs, we value our breath work, but nobody would be like, ah, oh, what's the physical experience of pooping like? No one would say that. But it's a, a huge movement. Deal. Yeah, yeah. But it's a you know it's a huge deal, and and especially um, one thing I see so much clinically is people with less severe spinal cord injuries than what your son experienced. Um, People are given opiates, which constipate them. And it's like, how are we going to help your body move if it's just backed up with stuff? Yeah. 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 And they slow the respiration rate. I understand that, you know, sometimes it's necessary, but yeah. it's a hard and price. Those blockages kill people. Yeah. Yes. So and then, of course, you know, and you add narcotics into that mix and you've got a, a, a closer to death um, prognosis, truly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's kind of, it's the, you know, the lung and its brother, the large intestine. So it's not just operating alone. Uh, it's not operating kind of isolated in the body. Also, there's so much connective tissue in the chest, so much connective fascia up to the throat. Um, the media, the fact that the heart isn't in between these big lobes of the lung and that the mediastinum has so much connective tissue um, to neurological tissue, to, um, the lung tissue itself is just like the lungs are so tightly wrapped around everything else. And another like anatomical aspect of hearing about your son's injury at C4, um, classically in this, like inner classic, the lungs are said to hang from the third cervical vertebrae. Um, so quite high up there in the spine. It is. Um, and it's so interesting that they, so all of Chinese like energetic physiology was basically done without dissection. It was not part of like the science tradition to be dissecting bodies. So the fact that many of these like statements are factually true that we can see when we look at anatomy, uh, it's just so impressive. <laughs> it is impressive all those uh, thousands of years ago. Yeah. In the spinal cord injury world, the expression is, C5 stay alive uh, because you'll, you'll then be able to breathe. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, see way high up on the, um, on the spinal cord. But please take us back to understanding about grief and the lungs and the large intestine. And uh, because a question that's really burning for me is in Chinese medicine and now without 
you know, the benefit of x-rays and under, and dissection to understand the insides of a body, what anatomically, how is it that the emotion of grief was associated with these two organs in particular? Mm-hmm. So along with the many other categorizations or kind of energetic concepts, there's concepts of several souls, like kind of like a spirit that exists within that like seasonal correspondence and organs. And the association with the lung and large intestine is the PO, which is the corporeal soul. Corporeal soul. It's sometimes called the animal soul. It's very visceral. It's very simple. It's just about, it's like, as we talked about, it's just there to breathe and it's there to excrete in order to stay alive. And that also has associations with the sort of like grief of like impermanence and the grief of um, being unable to like hold on to things. We can take in world, we can take in food, we can take in air, but we don't get to hold on to it. It just needs to pass right through. Hmm. The grief of impermanence. Yeah. Um, The other just like more practically is, so chapter eight of the inner classic I'm going to quote from English that says that which follows the spirit and its comings and goings is called the ethereal soul. That which matches essence as it goes in and out is called the corporeal soul. So we're working with something very physical that's transmuting the essence of that person. The essence comes from the kidneys. That's their kind of their embryological, their destiny, their will to stay alive. And then the corporeal soul is like working with that rhythmically to breathe and to move the bowels. Mm. Mm. So the lungs are the root of a strong body because the lungs are doing the moving of that essence outward through the physical, the physical form of the person. And more than the lungs are like associated with grief, like when you feel your lungs, you're going to feel grief. It's more like sorrow and grief moves towards the lungs and it stays in the lungs. Um, So quoting from the classic chapter 39, um, well, so the word collaterals here would be, I would like correspond it with like fascia or like vasculature. Um, so like small connective tissue pieces. So sorrow causes the collaterals of the heart to become agitated and disturbs the lobes of the lungs. The upper burner, so the upper part of the body, does not have open movement and the nutrition and protective nature of digestion is not disseminated through the body. There's heat in the middle of the body. So the the lungs can't fully move that essence in grief, which is totally understandable. Like no one feels like doing anything in grief or confrontation with death or anything like that. And when that happens, the grief can settle into the heart and it can settle into the digestive system. Hmm. Hmm. I just, I really love the, the metaphors um, of that because it just makes so much sense, even from a very basic practical, you know, like I, you know, I can't catch my breath, you know, yeah. I can't, I can't take a deep breath and have it be satisfying. Um, I'm just shallow, 
you know, um, or lock, locked up, you know, so, so much of what it is that, that you describe. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm also wondering, you said something earlier about um, the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. Is that related in any way to how the emotions run through the body into each of the various organs related to the seasons? And, and if so, is, you know, can you follow it for us on, on grief in the lungs? Yes. So this, what, this is informed by, um, Elaine Duncan's book, the Tao of trauma, which I find really useful. Um, she is a neighbor friend of mine and I love her work. So it was great to see her develop it. So in this theory, the two branches of the vagus nerve, so Stephen Porges's research on the polyvagal theory, um, one of the branches is the ventral vagal nerve wrapping around through the mediastinum and um, I think posterior to the heart in this very, very lungy area. And so the ventral vagus nerve is what's activated and what's being used in eye contact, in intimacy, in love connection, like, you know, just any type of love and and closeness that one feels um, and being able to have that pathway be opened up and functional without it being way too open and seeking connection with every single person. Um, that has more to do with that high summer joy and connectivity, but for so many people, either through their traumatic experiences or in their grief processing, that aspect isn't, isn't allowed. Um, it's not happening. And if the ventral vagus nerve isn't getting kind of connection with the brain, if that neurological pathway isn't being used those neurons are not getting wired together um, or they're certainly not being reinforced. And the dorsal vagus nerve, which is running more through the guts, more it's uh, running down the body, goes lower down the spine. That aspect of neural communication is being engaged more. And people who have over-engagement with their dorsal vagus nerve might be either hyper movement, a a ton of sensation and a ton of kind of input and output in the the lower guts or might be completely blacked out. Things might be really slowed down. That's sort of the trauma theory from polyvagal, right? The overactivation or the numbing. Yeah. Yeah. The lung and the large intestine have an association with the skin and the body hair. Um, The reason for that is similarly skin and body hair is like the outer membrane of the body, the way the intestines and the lungs are the inner membrane of the body. Um, they're all used to sense and to, to feel and to be in contact with. Um, so in that polyvagal kind of concept of things, you could think about issues with the, the autumn lung kind of category with skin issues skin rashes, hypersensitivity to touch or hyposensitivity to touch. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm wondering about that. Granted, that's the skin and the hair. You had mentioned about the two organs in this time of um, autumn, fall and grief that the lungs and the large intestine are also really surrounded by mucous membranes. Mm-hmm. 
So are all of the organs not surrounded by mucous membranes? Well, their tissue isn't um, as mucosal. Well, I guess many of them are. I mean, now that I think about the stomach, large intestine, genitals, mouth. I mean, there's lots of mucous membranes in the body. It's um, their cells need to stay quite wet despite being in a dry environment. Mm-hmm. 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 I, I just am I'm just thinking a lot about when there are uh, issues in the lungs without being able to breathe. Oftentimes it's because they sort of get clogged up and there is a lot of extra mucus that can't be processed out of the lungs. I mean, just think about it. And people have the common cold that won't go away, you know, congestion. But I was just wondering in Chinese medicine or if that is unrelated or if there's some uh, relationship there. No, that's actually a big, um, another big concept in Chinese medicine, which is a concept of dampness. Um, And I would encourage if you're trying to start kind of your Chinese medicine research journey or make lifestyle changes, um, especially living where we do with our very humid, soggy climate um, and a variety of other factors. Learning about dampness is like, can be really, really useful um, to just starting to think these thoughts. Um, So dampness arises from the spleen pancreas, which is also has a paired relationship with the lungs that I didn't really go into the spleen not fully processing both the food and the thoughts of worry, the repetitive cyclical thoughts. So um, thinking about like if the spleen pancreas with the metaphor of it being a mill, like a mill to grind wheat or a grain or something, if you didn't clean the mill and it didn't process all of the grain, you would end up with like a really gummy piece of machinery that's getting slower and stickier and more friction building up with every turn. So most people are working in an environment, in an internal environment that's already damp. And then when there's a illness, there's like an external factor, be that, um, you know, COVID, common cold, whatever it is, that adds even more dampness. And then when people aren't fully able to rest through their illness, they aren't eating in a way that's going to help clear out that dampness. They're super worried about their family and their bills and everything while they're sick. It's just like a damp firestorm. Chinese medicine offers a lot, especially with herbal medicine, to just clear the damp, resolve dampness. It's a huge part of what we do. From a practical sense, would you recommend that with living in a damp environments and as it relates to grief and the lungs being in um in a, in a room that is taking the dampness out of the room like a dehumidifier oh um, uh, or, or a lot of heat or warmth in the room or so what's important is to avoid extremes um i think damp damp plus cold and damp plus heat is way more challenging for your body than just dampness Um, So I think it's like avoiding sitting in front of an air conditioner, avoiding blasting your heat um, and using kind of making your body do a little bit more of its own temperature regulation, like when it's possible, when it's safe, um, is a good dampness resolver. Um, I actually, unless you're, I mean, I use a dehumidifier in my house, like it's environmentally necessary, but I wouldn't assess, I wouldn't especially think of it for like health, um, especially because 
Unfortunately, dryness damages the lungs. As everyone knows who's been in like a dry place or a fiery place. Um, so you don't want to go too dry. But my dehumidifier is running in my basement right now. I mean, it is actually tricky for um, those who uh, have a spinal cord injury if they um, also have had some lung pulmonary issues, but their bodies are not regulating temperature. Yeah. They tend to like it um, very, very warm, you know, in summer, uh, fall and winter and spring. And so they can be living in very heat in a room at at 80. Mm. Um, Actually, I think perhaps exacerbate the issue of, of lungs and large intestine without having to have more moisture added back into the air. It occurs. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just okay. Yeah. But I will also say, like, I definitely will recommend patients use humidifiers if they're ill. And I'm I'm sure people with compromised lungs might be in a state of wanting to use those all the time. It's not necessarily um because it's more abstract and because it's more digestive, um, dampness isn't necessarily like don't don't use water or something like that. Um, And in fact, actually, if I can give another like suggestion or application would be. um, So if we're thinking about the metaphor of like a gummy grist mill or something that's grinding things up and we're using the grain that we grind and we're putting it into a person's body to digest, you don't want to put in cold fuel. Um, You want to put things in that are about the temperature of your human body so that your body doesn't have to spend even more calories and energy heating it up. So um, anyone who's been to an acupuncturist has had the acupuncturist tell them to stop drinking ice drinks and to drink things at room temperature. Um, and it makes a huge difference. I like to, and I, I at least was grown up in the very diet heavy culture that was, oh, you need to drink cold water so that you spend more calories heating it up. Um, and I did that, uh, you know, drinking cold water in the middle of winter and to drink room temperature water, just plain hot water. And to say, Hey, I'm going to be gentle to you. My digestive system, like I'm going to give you just some love is I just, it makes me, I feel so like, it's like a self-care thing. I do, you know, it's some, these tiny little things that can be quite transformative. Yes, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm even wondering, and as, as we wind, wind down on the practicalities, Mm -hmm. are there other uh, tips, uh, words of wisdom that you might give listeners for how it is that they might work with grief. Yeah. So, um, as you did so, so admirably, um, noting what you feel, um, noting what's happening in your body. Um, it, even though I'm sure it will be challenging is so useful because it helps bring that corporeal soul back into all of this incredible nervous tissue that we have through our body. So um, noting, we can do a writing, you know, expression or just just thinking about it. Um, Practicing different breathing um, is really useful. Um, Be that practicing crying, practicing crying a little bit, practicing really big sobs, practicing angry tears. Almost everyone I talk to has some kind of shut down about some kind of crying. Um, and yeah, many people were taught many things about reasons not to cry and to not let that sob out or what, whatever the thing is. Um, and even if you can cry freely to notice what your body's pattern is as 
you cry or you breathe or you drive your car, or you care for your loved one, or you do your occupational therapy, kind of whatever your challenge is, because you may be asymmetrical, you may be holding up your shoulders, you might be tensing your jaw. Um, and there's just so much, the lungs are really big and they have a lot of surface area. Um, and you can practice in meditation and then also just in daily life, just exploring like what, how could you be using your lungs more and like bracing with your muscles less? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one thing caring for your skin, noting how your hands feel on your skin, how your clothes feel on your skin, um, is a wonderful thing. I think, yeah, letting yourself cry and also, um, making sounds if necessary. Singing is beautiful for the lungs. Um, my partner who had a, um, traumatic brain injury, which is one of the populations I work with, um, found a ton of healing through learning throat singing, like overtone tonal singing. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and humming, even just humming can be just letting that kind of like making your own vibrations, whatever they are. And then the large intestine channel is exploring the physical acupuncture channels of the lung and especially the large intestine, because it has these points along the face um, are really useful. I wrote a blog entry for men that's sort of like a written guided meditation for exploring the large intestine. And I found that really useful in both like grief of loss of things. And then also just like, ah, the world, it's so sad. And, and you're also, I noticed Anna, you were touching your face, mm -hmm. you were, um, speaking about that as part of what you would offer as a practice on activating or uh healing the large intestine around grief or was that um oh yes um so the large intestine channel goes kind of like points right by the outside of the nose so we'll use those for example when people are blocked up either constipation or blocked up like with their nose being clogged from a cold it goes it has associations with these front teeth um and then goes down the throat and down the arm and what would they actually be doing? Touching the sides of their noses and then moving down the side of their face on the outside of their mouths and then down their necks yeah. with their own, fingers, their own hands. Yep. Yep. Using your own hands. And it's, um, that can be like sometime it's really figuring out what type of touch you want and feels good for you. You know, your practitioner or your research might lead you to a certain type of touch, but there's also a lot to be said for, do you like what feels most pleasant? What feels most useful? What feels most soothing? What feels most transformational? And sometimes that might be firm pressure. Sometimes that might be tapping. Um, several of those acupuncture or the tapping uh, emotional freedom technique is all of acupuncture points or similar to acupuncture points that might be, um, the gua sha for like facial beauty. I love it because you're, you're finding a technique that works for you and your skin and your flesh. You're paying attention to yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, um, maybe it's just a, a last piece as we go back to the wisdom that you've shared with us about the seasons, mm. how important it is to be working with grief because we don't get to spring. You know, we can stay, stay stuck in winter 
Yeah. Or, or we you know, never really move out of the autumn and the fall to get to the time of rest that we then can push through to spring. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the joy of early, of high summer, um, and then coming back uh, to, to late summer. Because I, that that's what's occurring to me, you know, just how important it is to work with and through grief. I love that you've stated about how just acknowledging, um, talking about it, writing about it, thinking about it, but acknowledging how it is that you feel and then where it shows up in the body. You know, how is your body feeling? And, um, and but I'm wondering if there's anything else you'd like to share about the importance of working with grief and how it takes us through the cycles. Mm, I- Thank you so much for that. Um, thank you. I, I, one of each of these, the emotions, which we can think of as challenging, fear, anger, grief, and sadness can be so challenging. They have this other side, which like the term we learned was the gift of it. And the gift of um, this like autumn, fall season is like honor and um, inspiration. So with, even though it's so hard to see like in the, in the time with perspective, like every grief and every loss and challenge is like, there's some inspiration there. Um, even if you have to think really big picture. So it's just, it's an honor to speak about it. It's an honor and you're honoring yourself when you, when you acknowledge it, even if it's not always like pretty or fun. Um, and it's, it's great to get to, to acknowledge that aspect of, of life too. It takes us full circle, doesn't yeah. it? With grief and inspiration in the non-dual world, mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely Both living side by side. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This was a, a great honor to be to be asked. I just want to thank you so much and for your wisdom in the seasons and helping us all to take care of ourselves and think about the role of grief and its direct relationship to our lungs and our large intestine, two things that keep us alive. What did you learn today? Did you find your attention moving to different centers of your body? Or perhaps tapping into certain emotions you are carrying? as Dana opened our minds to the healing necessity of moving through our emotions so they don't get stuck in our bodies and so they don't cause us diseases of certain organs. I hope you'll have an opportunity to reflect on this wisdom and to find ways to integrate it into your life and your healing process. I always find it helps to be in community and in conversation to deepen new knowledge, to allow it to settle in and really bring it into the body's knowing. We are a blink of an eye family and you are welcome to be in conversation with us. We are so grateful to have you in our beloved community. Write me at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com And find us on Facebook, Instagram, or become a patron on patreon.com. Join the discussion and find like-minded people who might be on similar paths of healing. As together, we are raising the vibration for healing.
Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love, hope for everything, obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Trauma Healing Learnings. You may tune in to the companion Blink of an Eye story at Season 3, Episode 17, Choices in the Unknown. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and following. And thank you for telling your friends about Blink of an Eye podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blink of an Eye Podcast is sponsored by the Blink of an Eye Nonprofit, a nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury, to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. Blink of an Eye provides a national team of SCI specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families led by SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury, specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. Blink of an Eye also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. Blink of an Eye will host the inaugural conference, The Science of Trauma, Hope for Trauma Healing, November 3rd, 2022. To donate and find out more, visit www.blinkofaneye.org or events.icthat.org. That's events.i, the letter C, T-H-A-T, dot org.